because I was just talking to a class at Kellogg and they're like, how are you going to do succession planning? And I said, have you ever seen the show Survivor? And they were all laughing. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Nelson Mandela, it always seems impossible until it's done. This quote is a favorite of my guest today, Robert Passan. Robert is the chief wagon officer of Radio Flyer, which was founded by his grandfather, Antonio, and is famous for the iconic little red wagon, as well as tricycles, scooters, and other vehicles for children. Robert has built up Radio Flyer's iconic brand and has built a thriving culture in the process. Robert, thank you for joining us on the Elevate podcast. It's great to be here, Bob. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, it's got to be a lot of pressure that comes with taking <laughs> taking over an iconic business. I mean, there's not anyone who doesn't picture Christmas cards or one of these radio flyer wagons. So before, obviously that came later, but what were, what your grandfather started this business, what were some of your kind of earliest and fondest uh, memories of your, of your grandfather? And he, did he intentionally get you involved in, in, in the business when you were young? Yeah, well, he my grandpa wasn't around anymore when I joined the company. So he died in 1990 when I was 21 years old. But, you know, some of my earliest memories of him are uh, when I was a little kid being at his house and, and my grandpa was an Italian immigrant and he had this really heavy Italian accent. So as a little kid, I actually had trouble even understanding him. And and I remember him, he used to always keep a wagon on his front porch. And one of my memories of him was he would pound on the wagon with his fist and then say in this heavy Italian accent, strong, strong. And as a kid, I thought like, this was just like this crazy old Italian guy. Like, I didn't, this was a product quality lesson. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it's how you view your own family members. It was my grandpa. But you know, later I learned like what he was telling me a lot just in that one little gesture, like that he had built this product and this brand that, you know, was uh, stood the test of time. So he was an immigrant, first generation immigrant. How did he develop a wagon business? Yeah, well, he grew up in a small town in, in northern Italy, and he was from this poor working class family of carpenters. So his dad and grandpa were carpenters. They knew how to make things out of wood. And my grandpa Antonio learned that from them when he was a kid. But since they were really poor, when he was 16, he decided to come to America in search of a better life, like so many other immigrants. Um, he landed in Chicago and he just worked in any job he could find uh, construction crews, washing vegetables, you know, day labor work until he was able to save up enough money to rent a small garage on the west side of Chicago. And in that garage is where he started to put these carpentry skills to work. And he started making furniture and those old phonograph cabinets that people yeah. would play records on. And eventually he made a wooden wagon just to haul tools around in his shop. And pretty soon he was selling more wagons than anything else. And so that's what he went uh, forward with. He pivoted. And so he developed it as a utility thing. Was the first wagon for kids or what was the who was buying the first wagons? Yeah. And when did the red and the whole all that stuff come into play yeah i mean it was both it was i think he built it as like this utility thing but then consumers were buying it and using it as both you know to haul okay. things around or to pull their kids around so the wagon always had this dual purpose of kind of toy and tool but some of his first retail customers were just the local hardware shop in chicago 
he'd go there and he'd sell them a wagon and then they'd sell it and he'd make him another one. And was there something different about the wagon at the time versus, or were people just not using wagons or what no, was No, I the... don't think there was, it wasn't the, uh, yeah, obviously it wasn't yeah, the first wagon. didn't invent wagon. the wagon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's because, you know, he, he always had a really good eye for design and he had great uh, quality and he was always really competitively priced. Um, so I think that's what got the wood wagon thing going. But the real moment when he made it big was when he saw metal stamping technology, when he was visiting a, a supplier. And so he saw these punch presses stamping out things out of steel. And he said, oh, I could make wagons that way and I could mass produce them, make them more affordable. And so that's what he did. And that's what really created this iconic little red wagon that everybody thinks of when they hear of Radio Flyer. And that innovation earned him the nickname Little Ford. Uh, because he did for wagons what Ford did for the auto industry. And it was also the birth of the brand, Radio Flyer. And the reason he chose Radio Flyer for that was because they were the two coolest high-tech inventions of the day, the radio and the airplane. Huh. So maybe if he were naming it today, it'd be something like Quantum AI Dronester. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> but, and why the red? Well, he yeah, I mean, he made them out of a lot of different colors, but red was always the best seller. So over time, that became the iconic wagon. So he, he learned marketing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he, he always Double down he was works. very practical. He went with what sold. <laughs> so when you were growing up, how much did you know about the business? Did mm -hmm. you know that it was doing well? Did you go work in the factory at all or anything? Yeah. Well, I remember my very first visit to the factory was when I was five years old and my dad brought him to work with him. And that was a really big deal because in, in those days we didn't have like bring your kid to work day or anything yeah. like that. And so I have really vivid memories from that day of walking into the building, holding my dad's big hand and walking around the factory and hearing the loud sounds of the punch presses and the smell of the paint. And the paint line was this conveyor that went all along the ceiling of the factory. So there were all these red wagons on this conveyor. And it seemed like this magical Rube Goldberg machine was cranking yeah. out the red wagons, sending them into the world. So that's when I really first started to fall in love with Radio Flyer. And then I worked here summers growing up in, in high school and college. Um, and then I came into the business full time when I was 23. And did your dad work in the business? Yeah, my dad was the CEO after my grandpa. When did your grandfather retire? Yeah, you know, he had a gradual, like in a family business, there wasn't yeah. like a date, you know, but I would say, you know, into the 70s, he was still pretty active. And then my dad ran it, you know, 70s, 80s, and in the 90s. Got it. So, but you went to Notre Dame, and I think you were, were you teaching there? You're planning to be a teacher? Was that? The well, after, after I graduated from college, I did a year of volunteer work where I okay. taught in an inner city school in Chicago. And then was... I was wondering, was there a specific discussion? Was there an expectation of am I gonna am I gonna do this or do something else? Or or did you feel like a responsibility to to sort of take that baton? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was as much of a responsibility or kind of you were describing at the beginning like this burden or obligation. For me, I really loved the brand. Um, and I saw that, you know, the company when I was getting ready to come to the company. The company was really struggling. We were at a crossroads of figuring out if we were going to either continue or not. So what, what I felt, led to that? Yeah, a number of things. I mean, just one thing was just after set being any company be around that long has ups and downs. Um, but the company wasn't in innovating. My dad and his team were kind of getting into their, you know, the later years of their career. Right when I started in the company, 
uh, competitors came out with plastic wagons, yeah. which uh, caught us off guard. We weren't talking to consumers. We were kind of this inwardly focused. That was the price point of those a lot less. It wasn't that the price point was less. It was that they could give all kinds of features and benefits to consumers that we couldn't in a traditional steel and wood wagon, like molded in seats and cup holders. And, you know, people they're more durable. People could hose them down um, and leave them outside and things like that. And when you took over, was it still primarily like what was the product mix? Was it? Yeah, it was steel and wood wagons. Steel and wood wagon. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what, half of our sales was one product, the town and country wagon, which was yeah. a wooden steel wagon. It had been a, our best seller for 30 years. It was our cash cow. And those plastic wagons were quickly eroding that cash cow sales. So it was a full on, full on crisis when I started the company. <laughs> And so you came in, I mean, you were, you were young. Um, how old was your dad at the time? Yeah, my dad was uh, close. I think my dad was 70 when I started uh, or in his late 60s. And yeah, I mean, I was on the sales team and I was green and clueless, um, but super committed and super passionate about the business. So, you know, I just had a I had an open, I had a learner's mindset where I want to learn as much as I can. And I, one of the things that I would do is ask consumers a lot of questions about okay. Radio Flyer to try to understand, you know, what does Radio Flyer mean to people? And when I would do that, I would consumers would say, well, the first thing they'd do is smile. And the second yeah. thing they'd do is tell a story. And there were always these stories about childhood, these stories about playing outside with the sun in their face and the wind in their hair. And they imagined that their wagon was a race car or a time machine or a rocket. And so we started to realize that the reason we exist is to bring smiles and create warm memories. And if you had walked into the company 30 years ago and asked anyone here, what do you do here? The first thing they would say is we make wagons. And so that we had a very functional kind of manufacturing view of ourselves. And by shifting from that to we bring smiles and create warm memories, it, it really connected us with this kind of deeper purpose, more emotional benefit to consumers and it started to unlock our creativity and get us thinking about ourselves differently it's interesting because you know if you're talking to someone outside they might be like oh that sounds hokey or you know you're making sleds but i had an almost identical discussion with gary rich who was the uh ceo of wd40 i think you've met yeah met for, for 10 years and he's similarly like their mission is very similar about memories and he'd say look when you say WD-40 to someone and you ask them this question, they remember their dad fixing their bike or the smell of their grandfather. And it was all memory. And, and you know, he he made that the mission and grew the business 10x, the same little 10x over, I think, 10 years. So it's interesting, almost identical, actually, sort of mission and story. And, and, and probably a lot of WD-40 has been used on, you know, uh, <laughs> wagon wheels over the years. So you get some sort of partnership yes. there. Yes, I think that's a perfect, perfect analogous brand story. So flexible flyer is different, right? Is is that is. the sled? Because it's similar colors. I always is there yeah. some brand confusion there? You're not alone. You're not alone. Everybody no, always says, no lawsuits there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no lawsuits. But a, a lot of consumers think you know radio flyer and flexible flyer are interchangeable. But we actually never really have never made sleds. All right. So you came in. You have these discussions. You see the plastic sleds or, or the plastic plastic wagons are taking off. See now, I, now I've got it in my head. <laughs> um, so, what was your strategy to sort of preserve the old but take advantage of the the changes in the market? 
Well, the first thing we I knew we needed to come out with a plastic wagon because consumer preference had shifted. So if we were going to continue to be the number one wagon maker, our core business, we had to figure that out. And yep. that was a, that was a big learning curve because we didn't have anyone here who knew how to design anything out of plastic. We didn't manufacture plastic. Um, so that was our fir- my first experience and really our company's first experience with manufacturing a complete product outside of our company. Um, so we started working with a design firm because we didn't really have our own product development team. And ultimately, after about three or four tries of coming out with plastic wagons that didn't work, we got one that was successful, the Pathfinder, that had some unique patented features that reestablished ourselves as the number one wagon maker. When you say they didn't work, what didn't work about them? Well, the first one, you know, we it was too small. It didn't roll, it didn't roll or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but it was close. Okay. Um, it, it was too small. The second one, we were trying to just be, look exactly like the competition. You know, the third one, we tried to make it bigger, better. It was too expensive. A lot of it was just figuring out how to optimize design and cost in this new manufacturing process when everybody here knew how to you know ramp up and crank out a million steel wagons so, so just a lot of those kind of learning curve issues did it cannibalize the the metal wagon yeah. or did it grow the market overall no it i mean it ended up you know basically i mean we sell a very very small number of the traditional wagons today and actually it's shifted again from plastic to folding wagons that are fabric and we now have stroller wagons that you can push like a stroller and pull like a wagon and they fold up but those were ones that we were innovating and and not caught off guard like the plastic wagons. So the plastic wagon works. And plastic then wagon works. what else do you decide to get into? Well, by talking to consumers, you know, I would ask them about those radio flyer experiences. And sometimes they would say, well, I had a radio flyer tricycle. And I'd say, oh, OK, well, tell me about that. What did it look like? And they said, well, it was a red steel tricycle. It had chrome handlebars. It had two steps on the back. It had a big bell. It was a radio flyer. But the crazy thing was we never made tricycles. So yeah. um, so this we had this incredible, you know, the consumer remembered this traditional tricycle they had as a kid. Well, what was it? Just a red generic tricycle? Yeah, I mean, there was a number of different brands that made them, but most of those brands were right. either gone or they didn't remember. Right, but they were associating red as a child with the radio flyer. And then they were, yeah, our memory is right. We're very sure about things, but they get combined. There's a lot of study on yes. this. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> we did something pretty smart. We made a tricycle. So yeah, I was we made say, I don't want to take away from your strategic brilliance, but when people think you made a product and it was yours, and then it's a pretty good sign that you might want to make that product, right? It's a very good <laughs> sign you might want to make the product. The credit that we'll take though on it is that we were listening closely to what they were saying. You know, okay. we were really following the the consumer. Um, so we made that, and that's when I started to see, you know, we can be best in the world at creating awesome products that inspire outdoor active play right they tie they all tie back to that mission of active play and yeah yeah and wheels you know so so we took that one kind of retro classic tricycle we built it into a line of tricycles so we're now the number one trike brand in the world um we're selling you know hundreds of thousands of tricycles every year some that are e-tricycles yeah no, <laughs> no, no e-tricycles. That that doesn't sound safe. I haven't had a kid blow by me on the sidewalk yet on a, <laughs> on a tricycle. Yeah, I'd see that on a big a big wheel style tricycle would be pretty cool, probably. But yeah, we have stroller tricycles that start off as a stroller, and then then as the kid gets older, you take off the stroller components, and then you have a tricycle. And oh, um, that's like the walk, like the stick. 
behind yes, it. Yeah, push yeah. handle. Yeah, my kids are older now, but I sort of remember these things. Yeah. 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 And so then we and then we started making scooters and now and now we have electric go-karts. We have a partnership with Tesla where we do the Tesla electric cars for kids. And that's how we've been able to grow is by that kind of product development. Now, like when people had this metal thing and it got passed down from generation to generation, do you have some sort of struggle between wanting everyone to buy a new one, but also have these be things that are are passed along and given from sibling, like that sort of kind of have some history to them, even within a family? Yeah, no, we don't struggle with that. We've always felt that that's the, I mean, because since we're a, a family-owned, privately held yeah. company, we're all about the long term. So that we know that that's how our brand was built. I mean, it wasn't through advertising. It was through those products were our advertising vehicles. And um, so that's just to me, it's a completely seamless part of the brand. It's about quality. It's about, you know, being part of your family for generations, sometimes literally the same product. Yeah. So how, how does sort of sustainability factor into your thought process then? Yeah, we we're working really hard on sustainability. I mean, we started our our sustainability journey really f- formally about 15 years ago. We started working with um, a consultant group called Pure Strategies that's helped us develop yeah. our sustainability strategy. So we're really focused on uh, all of the materials that go into the products. So measuring all of those, understanding everything that goes into every one of our products. So we have those for each product now, a scorecard. Um, we've been able to take that knowledge and develop products like our beach and boardwalk wagon, which is made from, it's a fabric wagon that's made from 100% recycled fibers. Um, so we're starting to be able to incorporate those kind of things into the products. And then um, we've we've joined science-based targets. So we've made a commitment to the science-based target goal. And we have a full sustainability program that, you know, we're not where we want to be at this point, but we're on the path and we're feeling good about the work we're doing. And it's, I mean, it's absolutely critical that everybody does it. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So when you first took the reins of the company, and you took the title chief wagon officer, right, which is still your title. Was that something your dad and grandfather had done? Was that your idea or that was a new thing? Yeah, that was a new thing. I mean, I think the main one of the main things that I've brought to the company is really the focus on the brand and trying to look at Radio Flyer from through the consumer's eyes. Yeah. And so, you know, to be like CEO at Radio Flyer, that's fine, but it's kind of boring. It's right. not that fun. Like, so, you know, just trying to look at every opportunity where we can be a little bit different. We can, you know, voice the brand's personality and just have fun with it. And I also think it helps me be more accessible just internally. Like, you know, let's let's not all take ourselves so seriously here. I mean, yeah. what, what, do you have to be chief wagon and tricycle officer now? Is it, I mean, do you have <laughs> no. to expand that? No. What are you selling more of? Uh, still more wagons than tricycle? No, actually, the tricycles are a bigger category for us now. So it's time for a promotion. <laughs> I could have one of those ridiculously long, you know, titles. Yeah, that that's interesting. So I, I know you, you know, culture is really important to you, uh, sort of legacy of the business. And I think you've defined your culture by a couple of core tenets. Uh, the first is is permission to dream. And then I know that's connected to the second freedom to fail. So these are complicated how they go hand in hand. Like, how, how do you... How do you instill and re- reinforce those? Because there's a tricky there's a tricky balance there. And yeah, when you dream, you're going to have a pretty pretty high failure rate. I think a lot of companies talk about trying to normalize failure. I'm not sure as many are successful at at doing that. Yeah, I think it's really hard. Um, and some of the ways we try to do that is the the first thing we do is the we lead by example, starting with me. So. Whenever uh, we have our learning and development program here, we call Wagon U, of course. Yeah. And one of the first classes everybody takes when they join the company is breakfast with the CWO, the chief wagon officer. And basically that that class is all about my failures. Um, and uh-huh. so I talk about product failures. I talk about how, you know, goof ups that I've had hiring people and what I've learned from that. And we talk about it at our monthly company meetings. You know, if a product when a product fails, because it's not if, a certain percent of the products are going to fail, we talk about what went wrong, what we learned from it, or would we do it again? Yes, probably. Um, so I think by just n- talking about it frequently, and then I we use an analogy about um, planting a lot of seeds that, you know, we have to, in order to grow, we've got to plant a lot of seeds. We know that a certain percentage of those seeds are not going to grow. They're not even going to sprout. Um, but we need that in order to to succeed. So for us, the main failures that we have are are when we launch new products and they don't work. Yeah. So give me a little bit of your uh, if I can't extend the course, give me a little bit of your hall of shame. What are the yeah. what are the big company products that failed? Well, the the favorite story that everybody loves the most is is it was a huge failure um, that happened pretty early in my career where. We had this little wagon that you can see behind me uh, that's got the stuffed animal in it. Yeah. And uh, we we made that and we were selling it. We were selling hundreds of thousands of them. It was, so it was a, a wagon for the kids doll. 
Yeah, well, it's even even more like a gift basket wagon, but yes, like a, for dolls, for stuffed animals. So, um, and it was my first hot product. So I was like, oh, this is incredible. How do we keep building on this success? And it was in the, during the time when we were really struggling. And so we were looking for anything. We saw people were putting dolls in the wagon. And uh, I said, let's just kid world. They were sending dolls to hospitals and stuff. And, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so what we did, we we came up with our version of that story that we absolutely loved. We said we're going to do a TV commercial because we got to be like a big like Mattel and Hasbro and be like a big toy company. And we created this doll called Angel Love Wagon Babies. And angels made this baby and put it in the wagon and sent it to Earth. And I mean, it had all the Cabbage Patch. You nailed it. Yeah. Cabbage Patch. Was it, it during was, the Cabbage Patch time? Yeah, it was a little after Cabbage Patch, but it was a total failure. I mean, just a bomb. And so, and I, I have the commercial, and I show the commercial at the in the class, and everyone's like, "What? What, what were you thinking?" You know. And um, but we we actually focus group tested it, and we got all these you know moms and focus groups saying they loved it and would buy it. So I learned all about you know focus groups are have a lot of <laughs> yeah, the, the, the winners write history, but I'm not sure if you could you know some of these things five percent one way or the other that it's a runaway success or an abject failure, and then you can tell the narrative in reverse that makes it sound absolutely brilliant or genius i mean a That's friend of mine true. told me years ago that this neighbor you know who went to stanford business school had this idea for like a blanket that you could have as a piece of clothing and he brought they were at poker night or something and he had done it and he brought a couple of friends over and they're obviously all from stanford business school and they just shamed the guy they were like this is the dumbest thing I, we have ever heard of and like, like, who is going to buy this? It's ridiculous. And so he kind of gave it up and he didn't do it. And two years later, the, the Snuggie comes out, you know, and, and it's a billion dollar or multi-billion dollar product. So uh, you could come write two totally different narratives of that story of, you know, listen to the focus group, didn't listen to the focus group. Like sometimes it just, it's the way the wind blows on these things. I think that's so true. I mean, and that's the main takeaway that I say is that I don't, until we put a real product. You can't even put a pattern on it. Like, I mean, you can't, you can't do any analysis of these things and say, yeah. You know, I totally agree. I mean, I feel like, in, and unless you put a real product in front of a real consumer at a real price and they're going to, they have to take out their real money and buy it. You don't know what's going to sell. So what I've learned is I don't know what's going to sell. We got to put as many products in front of real consumers as possible to see what's going to sell and not bet the farm on any one of them. So you're not you're not of the Steve Jobs thing of or Elon Musk of we tell people what they want. They don't know what they want. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a little <laughs> bit that's a little overstated, too. Probably. Yeah. Um, I We don't do a lot of putting products in front of consumer, but it's a real product. I mean, it's not like we're we have a prototype and we're asking all these consumers, would you buy it? Yeah. It's actually shipping a real product and seeing if they buy it. So we've already committed to everything. Got it. Oh, so you're all in, but you just don't order. Just don't order a million of them. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you're talking about the failure part. I get that. The dream part is that a talent or a skill? Like, can you teach people to do that, or do you have to find people that are naturally creative and are willing to swing for the fences or 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 strike out? Hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's a combination. You, I think it definitely we we're always looking for cr- people who are creative, who have that creative spark, who might yeah. see things a little bit differently, um, who can see, you know, 10 solutions to a problem versus one or two. So we're definitely always looking to select for that. And then I think a lot of it is then the culture and the environment. You know, if people feel safe and I mean, another way that we try to make people feel safe is just to really create a a zero politics environment, a zero sarcasm environment, and so that people can throw out wild ideas and not feel like somebody's going to make a snarky comment. I mean, those are there's a lot of subtle little things like that that really, I think, inhibit people for for throwing out the wild, nutty ideas. And that those are some of the ways we try to do it. So there's just cultural reinforcement of making that mm-hmm. it's like psychological safety around throwing out ideas. No one will ever say that's a dumb idea. No. So then how do you sort through the ideas that are yeah. actually not? We Some of the language we use around it is from improv, you know, from Second City here in Chicago. Is this, oh, the yes and? <laughs> yes and. Yeah. And, uh, they, you know, one thing Second City says when they're doing a sketch is bring a brick, not a cathedral. Like, you can yeah. bring a brick, you can bring one half-baked idea because that's maybe going to lead to another idea. At the end, we will edit them. It's not like we're going to ship every one of these yeah. wild ideas. And, and then everybody gets that, that we're in the editing process. And so I think it's also just being prone to trying things. You know, we're definitely, we're very prone to, let's do it. Let's try it. Let's figure out. Let's make a prototype. Uh, let's get kids riding on it. Because a lot of our stuff is, or most of our stuff is so functional that one of the ways we figure out if it's a good product is, is it easy to ride? Is it fun to ride? Do the kids want to stay on it? Like those are pretty objective criteria you can use in watching people interact with your product versus asking them, would you buy this? Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. And then there's always a trick in cultures that want to embrace failure around like failing and trying on the new thing, but not failing on the things that you need to do well or the repeatable thing. How do you, I, mm-hmm. I remember getting into a discussion a year or two ago as an employee differentiating between 
like trying something, failing, and knowing the cost of failing, and failing to do something that you were supposed to do that's a repeatable process. Like those are those yeah. are different types of failure. Yeah, we call it. There's acceptable failure and unacceptable failure. And what? How do you define? How do you delineate the difference? I mean, the way you just said it. Like if you, if we're coming out with a new product and everybody is showing up on time, giving it all they've got, digging deep on the research, you know, dotting every I and crossing every T and it fails, that's acceptable failure. That's going to happen. But if it's if it's failure because we half-assed it, that's yeah. not acceptable. Yeah. And I assume repeating mistakes is also not, not big on the list, right? Yeah. And not fessing up when you mess up. That's another thing we say is like, if you mess up and you if you're trying to hide it or obfuscate, you know, you're out. I mean, that's not going to work here. That's the Ray Dalio uh, mistake log. I, I just find it that failure to failure to report a mistake is a fireable offense. Not making a mistake is not a fireable offense. Yes, absolutely. So I know you've also had this uh, passion project called the Hero Wagon. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is and why you're so passionate about it? Yeah, I mean, for about twenty years, we've partnered with the Starlight Foundation, yeah. and that's my wife used to work there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I was out of college, so I know that well. Yeah. Well, it's a great organization. And as you know, it's, their mission is to help kids and families when they're in the hospital, make yeah. their stays less scary, more fun. So for a long time, we've donated wagons to Starlight, and then they distribute them to hospitals so that they can use the wagons to uh, pull kids around in the hospital rather than a, a wheelchair or a gurney because it's more fun, less scary. And we were just donating our regular wagons to them. Um, and we would get these great stories and photos, which we loved. And we loved it. It was a great program. Uh, but some people on our design team started looking at the photos and started realizing that the hospitals were sort of jury rigging things to the wagons to make them more usable in the hospitals, like um, like a like little a, bra- Like I was going to say, like a, something for a... IV bag or something. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So the the IV could roll behind the wagon. And our team was like, you know, we could design something better than that. And then we saw a picture of all these wagons just on their ends, like pushed in a corner, taking up a bunch of space. And our team was like, well, you know, if we design one that folds up, that might be better for the hospitals. So we teamed up with Starlight and some hospitals, and we did a full-blown design research project where we interviewed hospital staff. We observed Uh, how they were being used in the hospitals. And our team developed this new wagon that has all these really cool, very simple features, but that all add up to it's still a fun wagon and it's super functional for the hospitals. So the hospitals love it. Like on the back of it, there's this little retractable arm that you can fold out and Mm -hmm. hook on an IV pole if you need it. There's a pocket on it that because hospitals need to put whoever the whose wagon it is that on that period of time. And just things like that. That and there's a, a fabric that is very easy to sanitize. And so we donate a thousand of these hero wagons a year to Starlight. And then consumers can actually go on the Starlight website and make a donation and Starlight. Buy one for donation. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just it's been a wonderful project because it harnessed all of the greatest skills of our creative and committed product development team. And then we get all these wonderful stories back from you know, families who it's that's a really hard time when your kid is in the hospital and the Radio Flyer Hero Wagon is a bright spot during that time. Do you have like a 2022 model and then a 2023 model or like do you make changes to them each year? Like do you, or you keep improving them? 
Not the, not like model years, but yeah, we yeah. kind of, we do update them and we discontinue items that you know if their sales have slowed down or or whatever. So what else is in the uh, R and D pipeline, or what's what's the new <laughs> what's the new hit? Well, I, the thing that's the biggest launch that we've had in the past year is our electric bikes for adults. So we're doing a line of electric bikes that are really focused on giving uh, families everything they need to replace car trips with bike rides. So uh, we've got a couple of cargo bikes that have this kid in cargo a carrier. Like, like the box bikes that you see there? Or, or sort they of, yeah. are. They are, but it are, we don't have it in the front for the yeah. kids. It's on the back where the kids can straddle and, and there's a whole uh, hoop that contains them. Um, but then we have this patented uh, innovative feature where all the sides can zip up and the, where the kids go can be this massive cargo area. So you can go grocery shopping and you really can replace a lot of functionality of a car with this electric bike. So, so we're really excited about it. it and that's already out. Yep. What, what's it called? Uh, it's called Flyer um, Electric Bikes. So we've got uh, a couple different model numbers, the L885 Kid and Cargo bike. We've got the M880 uh, Utility Bike. We just launched a folding version of it, too. And so I guess, what do you add? Like, is there, do you ask, like, base cars? Like, what's the range? Like, how many miles mm-hmm. does it go? Is that, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a big range because you can have full-on throttle where you're not pedaling at all. Yeah. Or you can have different levels of pedal assist, but I mean, you can, the range can be around 50 miles, um, depending on, you know, if you're going uphill, downhill, all those different factors. That, that makes a ton of sense. I, I remember my time and I used to joke around, like after going to Amsterdam and, or like Copenhagen or Amsterdam being like, I mean, I don't think you could do it because of the legal system here, but I joke around like the, the family minivan there was like a bike with a kid on one handlebar, another handlebar, one on the back. like. Yeah. Like people would have a heart attack here, but that was like five kids on, on one bike. And that's just how people got around. This seems like a slightly safer, safer way to do it a little lower to the lower to the ground. Yeah. I mean, the, the ones we've sold, I mean, people really become raving fans about this yeah. because is it red? Like, is it vis- very visibly? Yeah. yeah. We have four different colors in the different, so red, white, black, and blue. Um, so you can't get the, the red one, but yeah, I mean, when people like uh, commute to school, like dropping off your kids at school, that's one of the favorite uses people have for it. And you know that's that's always such a hassle for people getting the kids in the car yeah. and stuff. And we and get, it's have like got, fun, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kids are like, yeah, let's go on the bike, you know, and they're feeling the wind in their face and right. And you need the electric on that because if you get in an uphill thing, you're it's yeah, <laughs> yes, you do. With with a couple of kids on the back, it can be heavy. A- anything else in the sort of like next five years that you're thinking is new category yeah i mean i can't tell you any of the real specific stuff Bob, because it's top secret but i mean we feel like with our brand and by staying close to consumers and coming out with products that people love really the sky is the limit but was that that a hint yeah i was thinking radio (laughs) radio flyer right i don't know like a little personal helicopter thing i love it yeah (laughs) i love it yeah definitely i can tell you we're definitely going to go with more bikes um And we're going to keep building on our relationship with Tesla and yeah, keep coming out with cool wagons. Like how far ahead do you think? Like, do you have a hundred year vision for the company? Do you have like, no, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not that smart. No, I don't mean a product, but, but I'm I'm like, when you're thinking about the future of the car, you are, you know, are you picturing it? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I would love for Radio Flyer to continue for another 105 years. That's my goal. Um, we want to keep it family owned. Um, and uh, I have four kids that you know have the potential to go. So that was that was my next question. So how do you? Uh, is that like a Survivor uh, miniseries? <laughs> how, do, how do you? That's so funny that you say that. <laughs> Because I was just talking to a class at Kellogg, and they're like, "How are you going to do succession planning?" And I said, "Have you ever seen the show Survivor?" Yeah. And they're all laughing. So, what are their age ranges? Uh, Twenty-seven to fourteen. And have they all worked in the business? They, yeah, I mean, depending on their age, but yeah, yeah. internships and but nobody's in the business uh, now. And okay. the approach that we we've really tried to take a family business best practices approach to. Um, the thing that I say to my kids all the time is you're all welcome to come into the business. You're not required to come into the business. And I don't want any of you to be in the business if you're not really passionate about it, if it's not a good match for your skills. And you have to work somewhere else for a while to figure that out. You know, there's no rush to come into the company. And then we'll see what happens. We have so a do, do as I say, not as I do. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We didn't have any of this. We didn't have any of this structure when I was. Did you, did you have? Did you have siblings? Yes. Yeah. I'm the youngest of five kids. So you're the youngest. So the yeah. old, okay. Interesting. I missed that before. So the oldest all opted out, or they, none of them were interested. No, there were different members of my family in the business at different times. My one brother was my key partner in the business for many years, but he retired several years ago. Okay. But yeah, I mean, we work with a family business consultant. We have family meetings that are structured. That we're, we, so we we're very intentional about that part of it because that's that can really that can go wrong. So no early favorites. The 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 job still still open. It, it seems to go wrong actually. Again, I don't have a ton of experiences, but just in seeing, I mean, when when there's brothers and sisters, and then all the cousins come in, that seems to be when it gets really. A mess, like because you have interfamily, you know, issues as well too. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's the the more family members, it's just like anything. It can be more yeah. complicated. Yeah, it seems like the ones I've seen do it really well separate. They separate the ownership you have as being part of the family, and then the role or responsibility that you have. Like that seems to be a a best practice. Yeah, absolutely, that's key. So the other question I had is. You know, I mean, historically, you were more of a, a, you know, retail, you know, oriented business. Is the business going more direct to consumer? Do you like being able to, in a customer centric business, know who your customer is? Like, that's a new, that's more of a new phenomenon. Yeah, we, we uh, yes, we love selling direct to consumers, um, you know, through our website, RadioFlyer.com, because we do get so much more of that feedback and interaction with consumers. So we want to build that. Um, and we've always been a mass market brand, you know, so we've always sold who, whomever the mass market retailers are. So Walmart, Target, yeah. Amazon today. And that's really important because that's where the shoppers are going. So I think we're always going to be there and we're going to keep building RadioFlyer.com. And the stuff that sells the best on RadioFlyer.com are the products you can't get anywhere else. Like our custom, you can customize a wagon, you can personalize it, things like that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hi, Robert. Last question for you. Uh, this one I ask everyone. I always say it's multivariant. So it could be singular, repeated, uh, or personal or professional. But what's a mistake that you've made that you learned the most from? <laughs> it's hard to answer because there's so many mistakes. Um, you teach a course on it. So, you know. Yeah. Um, I think the mistake I made was not focusing on the culture and team as the number one priority from day one. Hmm. And like one of the examples I give of that is our, our internship program that we have now is this top rated internship program. One out of every four people who work in the company now were interns. It's a key talent pipeline, but we didn't build that, that intern program, you know, until I'd been here for like 15 years. So I would have done those things first before focusing so exclusively on the sales and the products. Interesting. So it was culture. Culture wasn't something that you were kind of all in on on day one. That was something you had to figure out your way through later on. Yeah, I had to really learn by hiring people and making mistakes, you know, realizing, okay, we need to get I need to get really good at selection and we need a really robust selection process here. I mean, we didn't even have an HR team, you know, so... Did, did the company have core values when you came in? Nothing was written down, but we definitely had values that were in the culture that go, went back to my grandpa because he was a person who, you know, treated people with kindness and respect and yeah. valued quality and design. So those were always part of the culture. God, but you, you had to formalize all of that and then design... Yeah, fortunately, it was all really good stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the DNA was really good. All right. So, Robert, where can people learn more uh, about you, the company? Where, where, where can they find you? Yeah, well, the company is easy. It's our website, RadioFlyer.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn. So I'm always sharing things about what we're doing and my thoughts on leadership and culture and design. So you can find me there. All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. You've got an incredible story. Uh, I, I can't imagine what it's like to step into a company in such a legacy and and keep improving it. So love, love hearing more about your story. Thanks for stopping by to share it. Thank you so much, Bob. It's been really fun. All right. You can learn more about Robert and Radio Flyer on the episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode or the Elevate podcast in general, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review. It only takes a few seconds and it helps new users discover the show and hear from great guests such as Robert. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. 
Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.